Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We've got earlier today Greg Hall. He's the CEO of Alligator Energy, ASX listed, Uranium Junior. We talked to him about their current share structure, the acquisition of Samfire, how to manage a junior exploration program with limited budget uh, and, and constraints associated with that. We talked to him about the Outlier Project of uh, Green Energy. And if you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversation, those topics, the company, and Greg himself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports and analysis as commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities, including our weekly uranium show now in its 51st week. And some great insights in there, actually. Uh, plus training courses uh, to help you with your diligence process. We've got summaries of all the interviews that we've done just to save you some time because we know you're busy. And uh, most importantly, there is a thriving community of investors and uh, looking to share their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly, and safe environment, which you might enjoy. Uh, it's free from judgment, trolling, and abuse. Sound nice? I hope it does. Join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Greg, good morning. How are you, sir? Uh, I am fine. Uh, good afternoon to you. <laughs> oh, yes. So you're, I'm assuming you're in, uh, in Australia. I'm in Adelaide, yes, and uh, enjoying the latter part of summer. But uh, I like the cold. My preference is cold after too many years in the outback, so I'm waiting for the winter. Ah, oh, fantastic. Okay, well, so and, and how is life down in Adelaide? Well, it's been good. Um, uh, certainly, there's less... COVID restriction, um, and so therefore there's been events. Uh, the LA Fringe, which is second only to Edinburgh, has been massive, so it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we're just getting over that mad March time. Oh, so you got a, you could have got a big swathe of uh, comics from around the world descend on Adelaide. Oh, well, we, there was limited ones from overseas. There was a lot of Australia at this time. Right. Uh, normally, we have a lot of uh, international uh, comedians coming to Adelaide for the Adelaide Fringe from a, a roughly... Mid-February, mid-March. It's a month-long festival. So wow. It's quite a lot of fun. I didn't know that was a thing. A little, mean, bit of, little bit of drinking involved with it, too. I approve of both of those activities. Fantastic. <laughs> hey, well, Greg, um, thanks for joining us. We've not spoken before, not heard the story, so looking forward to it. Um, can you kick us off with a one-minute overview of the company? I'll, I'll pick it up from there. Sure. Okay. So Alligator Energy is around an 11-year-old company, a highly experienced team evaluating the Alligator Rivers, Arnhem Land, Uranium prospects for a number of years. And then we changed our strategy in 2018 to start to branch into South Australia with potential ISR projects. We've acquired a uh, nearly 50 million pound resource at the Soundfire project, discovered in 2007, but not developed. And uh, we have um, some additional uh, exploration properties in Northern Italy in Piemonte, which is nickel and cobalt copper potential. That's a key summary. We have a very experienced board and advisory team of experienced uranium people and uh, are taking advantage of that to advance, how should we say, some growth opportunities. Okay. So what are we buying into? Because obviously um, uranium has been through a, bit of a difficult few years. You've been at this 11, 11 years. So you've been, I mean, the timing, when you started this thing, was the timing right? Well, uh, I came on the board about five years ago, but the, the, the initial board um, listed and raised money in late 2010, about six months prior to the Japanese tsunami. So it was a late raising, but totally focused around the opportunity 
of high grade in the Alligator Rivers range area and looking for the range of Javaluka style body. So, so naturally they did initial amount of work, kept the geology going, kept the investigation, did some fantastic R&D, looking at deeper areas uh, of geology, such as Cameco we're doing in the same area. And um, having some very advanced targets, but became more and more difficult in a suppressed uranium market to explore in that locality. So yes, it was um, uh, unfortunate timing. However, it gave an opportunity to get well-founded in terms of the Alligator Rivers area. So if you really want to find a 30, 40 year life mine in Australia for uranium, that's one of the places to go. And I would argue that the second place to go is probably South Australia. And how how's the different states have different attitudes towards uranium production, sure. right? So Northern Territories, Southern Australia, I mean, what, what's the reaction been there? Are you experiencing any um, issues? Both of those, both of those states are, are the only two that have maintained a constant approach of positive approvals, environmental legislation, and bipartisan support for uranium mining right through the last 20, 30 years more, or more. Both of them have, have had operating uranium mines for 40 years. Right, and what's their expectation of the, the the process that you've got to go through to get this into? Well, look, and I, I know your exploration or, or near term development, but what's their expectations from you? What do you need to do for them? Well, well let's look. In, in terms of alligator rivers, we, we don't have it. We have a very small resource. We don't have a significant resource, so so that that's not in on a development path yet. The Sandfire Project in South Australia would have a, a three or four year. Um, environmental baseline and approval process, uh, scoping, do a scoping study, then the feasibility, and then all of that. So, so the time frame we've got uh, is something like that three to four year process to an early stage developer with broad uranium exploration base. Okay, I'll come back to that in a second because I'm, I'm keen to um, work out your priorities, your order of play, as it were. But let's start with the, let's start with the team. So relevant experience in terms of building um, uranium businesses is, is what? Okay, so, so my background as a mining engineer, uh, I was uh, one of the first mining engineers on the Olympic Dam project, built up to mining manager prior to departure, spent some time in iron ore in Sweden, came back to the nickel business managing iron ore, uh, nickel mines for Western Mining Corporation, then uh, left there to run the Ranger uranium mine for four years. Um, along with the Javaluka test work that we were doing. Then moved into uranium marketing with ERA Rio Tinto. So, that, so my background has been a long-standing stay in uranium. And then launched Toro Energy Limited in 2006 at the stage of the last uranium pickup, uh, which achieved the first fully approved uranium mine in Western Australia. So that background is there. On our board is Peter McIntyre, who was the managing director of Extract Resources, which found the HUSAM deposit in Namibia. Which was consequently or subsequently sold to, to ZNGP, the, the Chinese group. And both Peter and his director, John Main, who's an experienced explorer, came into Alligator because they liked the opportunity of Arnhem Land large high grade deposits. So they're still strong supporters. Peter's on the board and he has a broad experience of both uranium development and other mine operations. We have uh, an advisory group in which encompasses uh, consultants, inception consultant engineers here in Adelaide who have the only broad range ISR experiences in Australia. 
So all of them have worked at either the Beverly or Honeymoon Mines or Four Mile or worked overseas on ISR projects. So they uh, were involved with them in evaluating our sandfly project and other opportunities. We have an advisory board with a very experienced 40-year, 45-year-plus geologist who has been involved in the discovery of the Ranger project many years ago and also worked with NextGen on their discovery. So we, we, along with that, we, we have uh, access to um, specific consultants in the US that we use for advice on potential properties over there. We haven't acquired anything as of yet. And we have an experienced geologist who's got a range of experience through calcrete deposits, um, Arnhem Land and some African deposits. So we've got an eclectic mix of skill sets in the, in the uranium space. What we do know, as many companies do, is where to acquire good experience and deliver in building up new experience. So we have young geos we're training up. And, uh, and we certainly would plan to keep engaging new people in the industry. Okay, so that, that's quite uh, the resume or CV um, that the team have on the uranium side. What about um, in terms of junior uh, company experience? Because the obviously, I know you you came in five years ago, and the company's been around a long time. A lot, a lot of shares out, not a lot of cash around. Um, how are you finding working in that kind of environment? Because obviously, we, you know, when you when you look at um, the Sapphire acquisition, there's going to be a few shares issued there as well, and that just puts a little bit of constraint on the way that you can operate that, and how you go out and raise money, the cost of that money, etc. Especially at this, this market cap. Look, most, most certainly, alligators come from a low base. So um, while it had a good um, capital base and cash cash uh, injections in the early part of its life, it went through the doldrums of being a pure uranium explorer with no resources. And that's a tough gig in the, in the downtime. So the reason for the change in strategy was to try and overcome that, come out of that. So acquiring the Samphire resource, which was in a um, listed, uh, sorry, an unlisted public company, at the very opportune time, 2019 and, and in 20, prior to the most recent market pickup, was valuable. It would probably worth three times that now. And um, we've seen that in our recent share market movement since we acquired that asset. So the aim was um, raise money and go out and find, or the, the target was raise money and go out and find a resource or acquire a resource. And uh, we ascertained in the board, let's find some opportunities to acquire. Now, that has meant that over the time with various raisings, we've got lots of shares out there. The logical thing would be on the back of a significant undertaking, whether it's a significant discovery or a good acquisition, you would do a roll-up or a consolidation. You don't do that without a good reason because you just drop share value, uh, market cap value if you do. So we will we'll correct that in balancing the due course, but it's got to be around a good undertaking. So talk about, you just said that um, the acquisition was the catalyst for the movement um, in, in the share price. Um, I think most of the uranium players, the junior and the junior end, have seen you know doubling or trebling of share price over the last four months. But that was the market doing the heavy lifting. It wasn't oh no, no, I agree with you. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, I agree with you. It was predominantly from about the fourth of December when the, the policy started coming out of the US and all that. No, that was the catalyst for it. But if we had not had, if we didn't have a uranium resource on the books, then we would not have had the same traction. So. Getting that resource prior to that time period was really the, the key thing for us. 
Got it. Okay. Now, we didn't know it was going to happen. It was about getting the resource on the books and a potentially developable resource because it's ISR within South Australia. So that's what's attractive. Right. Okay. Okay. That, 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 that's interesting. Okay. So as with all things investing, sometimes it's about timing. So that was great. <laughs> Yeah, a bit of luck. <laughs> a bit of luck, a bit of luck, yeah. Um, okay, so can we, let me deal with um, the outlier, which is Italy. You've got, sure. okay, I think you're, you've you kind of set it up as a subsidiary with its own team and its own uh, own board within within the company. So how much value are you attributing to that, first of all, uh, given given today's market cap? Well, we have um, uh, a joint venture with an uh, original private group with put the first package of these together. We've then expanded the tenement package after we did the initial work. We have an Australian subsidiary owning an Italian subsidiary fully owned. We've done, it's an historical mines area where the last time these mines were run was in World War II. So these are adits and narrow vein mines in the hillsides on plateaus, et cetera. But it's a 30 kilometer area of the crust where the Earth's crust, the African crust is coming up. And it's got 17 occurrences of greater than 0.5% nickel. Now, we had a world, a global nickel expert have a look at this, and uh, he said, look, the only areas that have got this sort of display of nickel have become major fields. So it's got potential. Not one drill hole into it. Very early geophysics in 2015, that's it. So it's a very early stage play. And we we acquired it, or we, we farmed into it, on the basis of uranium being in the doldrums in 2017. Energy minerals were becoming of interest, so it was an opportunity. And we now have it set up with the expanding European interest in nickel, cobalt, copper, and those directly homegrown strategic minerals. We now have a couple of strategic parties interested and in having a look to, to potentially take a forward with us. So it's set up for that separate operational business at the right time. We have key experienced players in Italy that we engage with to work the project as well as our engineers we need. Right, but it, you're setting it up to what? Spin it out, or sell it off, or or what? Well, it's got it's got that opportunity. So it, we certainly set it up set it up so that it could attract investor interest coming in like that, and it is set up so it could be spun off into, uh, for example, an AIM listed or Canadian listed uh, unit, uh, or it could be retained while we expand the potential, especially the depth, with some more modern geophysics, and that's that's probably our first step is to have a look at some uh, fun with the geophysics. So it's likely to be an opportunity for us to, to create some value for shareholders like that rather than us raising funds and putting into it in an earnest way. So that's, that's being upfront, and we've been quite clear to say that publicly. It's, it's set up for potential investment by interested parties into the community. Right, some, some sort of farmite situation. So it's not going to distract you from your, your core objective, which is the uranium in Australia. No, no, while we, while we really want to gain value out of it, it it's uh, our, we're a uranium-focused development and exploration group now. Okay. So I guess as and when you know something or you make some decisions, you'll, you'll let the shareholders and the market know about what's happening in Italy. Right. Okay, great. Let's get back to Australia. So we, we talked about Allocator. It's it's much earlier stage. So are you spending time, money, and effort on that now or are you getting into the Soundfire project? What, what's the priority? The Sandfire project is is our first priority because Alligator River's region exploration really requires it. You can only explore during the dry season, which is from about May to November. Uh, it requires a lot of exploration dollars. Cameco found that out through their exploration up there in years gone by. Uh, Vimy now have the Cameco ground and they found that out. 
So it really is an area that you need to raise a good amount of funds between two to five million to really do good solid exploration on our key targets. And we've got fantastic geological understanding of Alligator River, but the range of three ore body, which I helped to mine, is 80 metres long. So you're looking 40 metres, 400 metres deep, under sandstone, very little signature, trying to find the confluence where you get a series of fluids come up structures from basement and form an 80 metre wide ore body of enough grade and size for 30 year mine. It takes work and uh, um, it's seasonal. We've got great relationships there. We've had more than 35 Indigenous employees over, over the years. But it's going to require very buoyant market to have the fund adequate exploration. Meanwhile, our focus is on sandpile. So after the acquisition, we did an initial desktop study with our consulting engineers and others and evaluated that this year what we need to do is to test for some higher grade zones, because there is some high grade there, 0.3% over very good meters and things, but test for some additional higher grade zones, get some geophysics done, which we're doing now, start some drilling for both the higher grade extension work, get some additional new core samples for the for latest resin extraction testing, similar to what FOSS resources have done, and then update both the resource and scope and study. And we're, we're funded to do that work this year, and that will tell us what's the right development prospectivity and profile for this project. So coming back to my point earlier about you know working within a sort of smaller company and all the restrictions that that brings or can bring, um, how did you pay for the Sunfire project? Was it cash shares? What were the terms? We, we paid shares. So we, we, we diluted our shareholders substantially. It did cost about a third of the company to pick it up, but it was a 50 million pound resource. So quite a reasonable resource with a very good, um, how should we call it, cut-off grade table. So there's a good high-grade core in this, which is quite genuine. And that's what we had to make sure of before we were willing to spend the shareholders' shares. Right. So that, that's a good asset. You like the asset. Talk to me about what were the terms and what was, it, what was the price of the, the shares that were issued? Uh, well, our share price at the time was around 0.7 cents. Our, um, we did the deal at 0.6. Um, we brought on uh, th these shareholders that had held Samphire in an unlisted public company hadn't, hadn't been able to trade for four years, so there was a willingness to do the deal. Um, yes, we, we, we went... We did dilute our shareholders. Uh, they end up with two thirds of new, new shareholders, to one third. But it created an entity with a broad experience base, good exploration properties, and now a 50 million pound resource in an ISR setting, which had already some good proven metallurgical and other economics. So, so we thought it was the right decision to take. The time has proven it's reasonably correct because the market has since recognised it. But do you think there's an overhang there with the shares? You know, are you going to start? seeing more people offloading. I mean, is that a concern? Are you able to help maybe mop some of those up, put them into the right hands? How do you manage all of that? Yeah, look, we have considered that. The, the, the top 200 shareholders of the company own 72%, okay? And we've got nearly 4,000 shareholders. So there's a lot of small retail overhang. However, um, you need to do those sorts of transactions or, or corporate changes on the basis of a significant value-add impetus, whether it's here's drilling, we're starting up, here's some initial results, here's this, here's another, here's a potential acquisition. 
here's some work we're doing on, say, a big lake uranium prospect and finding this. So, in other words, you, you, if you just go out and consolidate or change the structure and mop up shares, you'll probably lose 10% value. So you can make the decision to do that to get set for the future or do it on the back of um, a substantial bit of new value news. So we, we've yet to make that decision, but uh, at the moment we, we know roughly what we have to do. It's a matter of timing of when you might do it and around what news you Okay, essentially, because you know when you talked earlier about you know roll-ups and etc., there's a kind of bit of work that you got to do in terms of the capital structure and and the share register, I, I guess, um, at some point. But so, what is that some point? What what do you think that moment is? Not necessarily in timing, but in terms terms of the event. Well, it could be threefold. I think it could be some significant advance work on Samfire, which finds new high-grade zones or good resource extension or really good metallurgical test results, which, which we work through. It could be our very Greenfields area, Big Lake Uranium project in uh, the Cooper Basin, which we, we haven't talked about yet, but we'll later, uh, which is a brand new Greenfield site having a look at a very large hydrocarbon basin where most of the world's ISR and uranium deposits are linked with hydrocarbon bases, or it could be a further growth opportunity, like a farming and acquisition of additional property or resource. And we really are focused on evaluating some additional uranium resource opportunities, as everyone is, and everyone I've listened to on your shows is. Um, it's got to make sense, but um, that could, those, those could be the three catalysts. I think. Okay, okay. So you- let me, let's talk about the project. So you, you, you've got alligators. So in terms of time and money, you've said you need a lot of money to kind of get that get that going. You've, expl- you've explained that. So, so in terms of money, are you allocating anything to that? Uh, yeah, we've, we've, just had a, we've just had a new area of tenements, 11 tenements granted there, the Narblek North, to the north of the old Narblek uranium mine. We, we have an allowance for around an initial $150,000 worth of work for targeting up there. Okay. And that money we've got to set aside for this year. So we capital raising last year, so we've got that set aside. That will help to identify some targets and, and maintain our work ethic there, maintain our indigenous relationships, do some work on the ground. So we, we've got that planned in, in the budget. But that's, that's, that's really all. It's about we've got a huge asset base of knowledge, a great field of potential. Let's see when the right time is to do it. Right. So, so, so what I'm, intri- I'm intrigued by and interested by is how management teams sort of plan and navigate their way through, you know, budgetary constraints and prioritising projects. So you know, that 150, is that an obligation or is that something that you said, no, we, we need to do this just to go? No, no, it's not. Um, you know, our obligation up there in terms of holding the assets is probably in the region. Forty or fifty thousand, so, so it's more than that. Okay, so let's come down to Samfire. Doing it. Okay, so let's, let's talk okay. about Samfire then. So, how much cash have you got today? Let's start with that. About two million. Two million. Okay, and so how much of that is going into Samfire to kind of move that forward? Because it's obviously you're, you're quite pleased with what you've got there. Well, look, when we when we raised in December, we outlined a program of, uh, of around um, eight hundred. Thousand to one million to go into Samphire this year with the, the geophysics, the drilling, and the ANSTO metallurgical testing, and an updated beam scope and study on the back of that. Right. And, and the other thing we've seen in the market happening is <clears throat> well, apart from people raising capital to go and buy pounds, but they've also been getting into going to the market because they can to raise capital because we've, we've seen this little surge, this little movement here. Are you going to do that? Or is this two million that you've got uh, enough? Well, it, it, 
it's good to evaluate the opportunity to raise capital when you don't have to. So, so certainly a board and a small company like ours is always evaluating the opportunities. And in the current climate, um, because we're a small company but with a significant resource, we are being approached by groups all the time saying, do you want it, do you want it, do you want it. Now, it's going to be around the right framework and the right impetus for us. Um, we, we are now on the ground in geophysics at Sampire. We'll be commencing drilling in July and we've told the market that. And um, I think there'll be some impetus for us to evaluate that at the right time. Okay. It would help, though, wouldn't it? You could move things forward a little bit faster if you did do that. Um, I certainly do. And I think it's just around the news flow that we can generate for the, at the right time. So the buoyancy is there on the market. There is support for, for dollars. So, so we'll evaluate it at the right time. But the other thing you've got to do is work out the timing. You know, where, where do you guys fit in the scheme of things? What can Samfar do for you in the context of the, well, I think there has, I think it's general acceptance that there are new uh, investors coming into the uranium space looking at it. Generalist funds, we've seen what's happened with yeah. some of the ETFs, um, and we've seen a lot of these uh, generalist retail investors looking at the space too. So, do you, how do you, how do you work out how you navigate the way forward? Because, you know, people talk about hitting the cycle right, or at least being able to tell a story of when you're going to come into market or when you're going to be yeah. relevant. So how do you, what's your approach to it? Yeah. Well, well, that's, so the, the study work, the initial desktop study work we put out in December, which we couldn't, we couldn't do any forward looking statements because the resources all inferred, it needs to be indicated, which is our work we're doing this year. So that, that showed us though, that there is a, a potential project there with pretty similar economics to other ISR projects in Australia. So we, we're aware of that. We believe we need a slightly bigger resource. We have a, an additional resource, the Pumbush one, which is non-dual. It's dual to them before, in fact, not dual to them as well. So that's upside. We know there's additional potential channels, uh, extensions that we can look at. So we need to do the work this year, which will improve or give us more information about that economics. Now, provided that comes off and uh, the, the, the additional test work we do on the metallurgical testing proves what we believe it will do, um, we've probably got a, a staged project where we can say, right, now we're heading towards a pre-feasible feasibility. If we know there's only one part of feasibility, we start baseline monitoring, we start the approval process. Now, I'm a big believer that it doesn't matter the economics of a uranium mine, you have to have approval. So, so you have to have what? You have to have what? We have to, you have to have approvals. Approvals, yes. You have to have project approvals to proceed. So I like to tell an old story about uh, the Rossing uranium mine and Jabaluki uranium mine, which were both coming to market for approvals about the same time in late 70, 79. Rossing had an average grade of 0 0.05, 0.06%. Uh, got approval, Namibian government supported, bang went forward. Jabaluka had a grade of 0.5, 10 times the grade. Missed the window of opportunity with the previous Liberal government, didn't get approved, never went ahead. Sometimes approvals are what you need. So I'm a believer in making sure you start early work on approval. So even now, at our very early evaluation stage, I'm meeting up in Wyala, near our project with local councils, Indigenous groups, with all of the people we need to engage with to get that very early stage uh, process underway. So we'll, we'll work on that very, very early, even before we're sure of the Okay, no, no, and I understand that, and I agree with that. That's that's good. That's good news. But in terms of this project, how do you 
how do you kind of piece all those um, elements together with, you know, a budget which is constrained, right? I think that's fair to say. Because, you know, I read, I read, you know, reading through your marketing material, you talk about direct and strategic um, partner investment model. Do you think, given the sort of history of how long this company's been on, on the go and the amount of shares on issue and, you know, the, obviously the market didn't kind of go with you with across the 2011 in terms of timing, but do you think you're going to have to fall back onto trying to find, and I guess it's going to hurt because you know you've got a good project there, getting a strategic partner to come in just to sort of make sure you're not continuing to dilute your current shareholders? Well, it depends on the market support you have from, from the buoyancy in the current approach. If we, We're funded to add the value to the project now for this year, which will add value to start to, to, to show the direction, all right? And therefore, um, that will tell us where we can take this project forward. I think that will add value to the project and to the company, and we can make the choice then of, of raising through equity and, and taking that forward step by step because you don't have to do it all at once. You can get the value up for the early stage project it is, commence these other options, and as you advance that, especially as, you, as people start to realise that the South Australian government is one of the few in Australia that have very well-proven approval processes for uranium mines. They've done it four times, okay? So, so I think we'll be able to add the value that will support the shareholders and support um, um, uh, adding capital we needed. Strategically, we would bring partners into our other two key projects, such as Alligator Rivers and Italy, before we would do Samfire, because Samfire is a nice size project for a company like ours as we grow. Okay, so you, it's all relevant, is what you're saying. You've picked up Samfire actually at a good price. Uh, I don't want to say that too much because we have Samfire shareholders on their register now, but they have uh, chosen to stay with Alligator. I want to add more value for them because we certainly believe we gave them good value when we picked up the project. The market has since, and it's, you know, it's a Obviously, you've talked to other people with your own experience, and the, it's a strange market situation. You've got equity buoyancy. You've got policy change in the US largely driving that. Yes, the inventory has gone from the spot market and it's been driven by additional spot, excess spot capacity, but you're not seeing a big spot price increase. You're not seeing RFPs yet, et cetera. So it's an early stage buoyancy. Let's see where it goes. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second, actually. Okay, so so just with regards to Sanford, because I think that's obviously this is the key. That's the key that's going to unlock value if you if you get it right. Okay, so it, you've got two million bucks. You may or may not choose to raise some money depending on what you need to do. You started an approvals process. What's the moment that you're working towards? You say if we can get to here, I think in the context of what we're seeing out in the market market. People will take notice. We will become relevant. I think it, by the end of this year, if we have an upgraded resource, which moves us into indicated category to a reasonable amount, along with uh, an updated scoping study, which will then have the forward statements and finances we can announce. That's a key point for us at the end of this year. And that will also tell us what is the price you need to do contracts for that will support this operation going forward. That'll be important for That's towards the end of this year. So you'll, you'll start to understand the economics at that point? Well, we understand them already, but we can't announce them already. We're now 
enhancing our understanding of by anything everything we're doing this year is improving that 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 obviously confidential desktop study we did, which we couldn't announce the formal statements for. But we did make the statement clearly in our release in December that it's in line with similar um, uh, and similar costs from similar ISR operations in South Australia. Right? So, so we're, we're comfortable that it's got those basic economics, but you can get plenty of variation in economics. Um, so we need to enhance it. So 50, 60 bucks. Well, you would know that essentially, let's talk US dollars, right? that essentially the, the, the sort of operating costs for ISR, all in, operating costs for ISR, including Wellfield, is around that $30, $30 pound mark. All in sustaining costs is probably $40 per pound by the time you do other things, okay? So to really generate uh, a, a kickoff, remember it's not a high capital cost, these plants? To generate a kickoff, you're going to have to be at a $50 price up. Yeah, I think that's what we're hearing from most ISR. US dollars, everyone. Yeah, and US dollars. Right. And, yeah. And, and if you want to have a very low risk kickoff, you're trying to get more than that. So, uh, for example, during the Toro work, we had a company hosted deposit, we had a huge amount of work off, and that really needed a 60, 65 plus. And, and I've heard other company mine owners know that that is the sort of price you need. So, it's just more uh, difficult extraction you know, for the calculate type. But nonetheless, there's room for both. Look, a key reason for, for, for us developing a strategy as a board in 2018 and coming to both South Australia and ISR potential is this. Um, high, good, solid mines established 30, 40 years ago, kept running for 30, 40 years, such as Ranger, such as Rossing. Uh, not always high grade, but nonetheless, the better the grade, the better. But the other mines which have been established and run have become more than 50, 60%, 50 to 60% of the world's global production are ISR. So there's a logical thing in having good potential high-grade discovery, which could be a boomer, and good solid ISR production potential. So that's that's our key strategy. Okay. I think that's great on the on the company. So we 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 will await from you those things. That's 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 great. Talk to talk to me about your thoughts about the market. Um, you're seeing people raising money to buy pounds. Does it, in all instances, make sense? Uh, yeah, uh, I think it does for companies in different ways, depending on the status of where they are. If you've got, uh, look, as someone who's got in front of many utilities in the past through my marketing days, uh, if you've got a new project about to start, let's say in one or two years, and you've got some backup pounds either directly held or with a relationship with a provider that you could back up a ramp up, Utilities love it. You've got, they want security supply of production, but a new starting company has always got some risk. So therefore, a backup of pound supply for a new start is ideal. The second reason you might do it is because you're offering your shareholders something other than cash. You're offering a hedge on the uranium price when a lot of the market's saying the uranium price over the next three to five years has logically got to go higher because of the need for restart of production and some new production. So therefore, we know that the restarts will require higher contract prices, which should move the spot up. So actually, if you need cash for the work over the next one or two years, actually buying pounds is not a bad way to get the cash and have the cash available. So, so they would be to me two key reasons why you would do it. Um, 
it's a yeah, it's a sensible proposition. You've got to outlay a bit of money. That's the only issue. <laughs> you, you do, but you, you, at least you're buying an appreciating appreciating asset. Uh, one would argue. Yeah, right. That's so it's future, future it's, it's value. It's buying an asset. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So so I think in terms of that side of the argument, it's it's that's well under, understood. Um, and I can see that some companies it, it will allow them to have conversations with utilities a lot earlier than perhaps otherwise, and and give them some some runway to the production. If some if things go wrong, the utilities can go. Yeah. Okay, well we've we've got about six nine months worth of wiggle room. The other thing's important is in, in your first first production startup is usually when the costs are quite high. So if you've got a, a uranium asset base which you purchased at thirty dollars a pound and your initial startup costs are at forty five or something, mm-hmm. then your blended cost is a much better profile for your first eight months, which is usually when there's a bit of heartache in commissioning the project. So it's a, not a bad strategy. So has it surprised you at all how quickly these companies? I'm talking. I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the UPCs or or yellow cakes of this world. I'm talking. I'm talking the Dan, the Denisons and UECs and, um, uh, and and others who have who have gone and bought in the market. They've seemed to have done it relatively quickly and relatively easy. Is that surprising? Well, I think it's, uh, of, I meant to be some sort of supply deficit. No, not really. There, isn't well. Not really. The, the, the thing is, there's a supply deficit when a utility puts out a request for a spot sale, a spot purchase, and they don't get any responses. At the moment, I understand people are putting out requests and they're still getting three, four responses. So therefore, you can't necessarily say there's a, uh, a supply shortage until there's a shortage. So there's still some churn from previously purchased uranium from traders at 24 bucks, whatever, coming into the market, selling at 30, they're making their clip. Beautiful. So it's, a, it's still a bit of a churn. Um, look, the, it's not surprising that people have jumped on. Look, look, back in the Toro days, we considered it as a board to purchase some uranium in stock as we went through the final approval process. At that time, uranium was climbing back through 60 bucks a pound, so we decided, well, let's perhaps not do that. But... Um, it was a strategy that's been considered in the past by many companies, especially just before startup. So it doesn't surprise me, especially with the amount of information, flow, rumour, scuttlebutt around the market that the price is likely to or has to move. Uh, it, it's, it's looking more comfortably like a, a reasonable hedge on, on price and, and on cash. You're also finding, of course, that major institutions and significant high net worth shareholders are backing companies to buy it. So there is a message in the market that's brought as well. But I've got the- I haven't been specifically surprised. We 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 um we have with our um, market related people we talk to, we've had those discussions about some time ago. Um, but yeah, it's been interesting to watch it. But look, fantastic! It's moved the price up, which is of course something that's back a little bit now, which shows you there's still support. Which, which is something, yeah, I think we I think something we called last week, which was, you know, I think the, pr- the price has moved because we saw it as low as mid-27s mid a couple, two, three weeks ago and getting up to, you know, 31, mm-hmm. fantastic. But you, you expect a reset because I think people take advantage of, of the fact that these companies seem very desperate to get a hold of it. But the, the other component to it is not everyone's going to want to sell even at 31 bucks. If, I, if I'm sitting on pounds... Uh, maybe maybe it's a better strategy for me to hold out until um, and not sell until it at least you know gets into the forties. 
maybe even the 50s, where depending on what your strategy is. So, so, so the, but that then says to me, there is a lot of supply, there is a lot of product out there. So these utilities understand that. It's a question of when do they want to step into the breach, as it were, because they've got other budgetary uh, demands as well. So is it is it odd that they're not coming in and buying pounds now at you know 30 bucks to you? Well, um, it, it all depends on their inventory policy and their access to emergency inventory to some extent. So, so I recall in the heyday of very low-priced uranium times, if you can call that heyday, when it's six, seven, eight, ten bucks a pound, um, the, the US, the average US inventory was 18 months of uranium stock. Now, I don't think it's back down there yet. I think it's still at two or three years or something. I don't know, something like that. I'm not sure. So, so it may not be back down there in the emergency category just yet. By the same token, up until December, there was so much uncertainty in what they were able to buy as, as a, let's say the US utilities in particular as a buying group. Now that's been defined. You can have this much um, Russian material. You, there is the, the DOE is going to be out there buying, but they haven't come out with their tenders yet. So there's this certainty that's around there. And the buying seasons are traditionally February to May, just before summer, and then from about September to November. So we're in a buying season, if you like, now. It sort of coincides with the refuelings, if you like. And so uh, let's see what happens. There hasn't been a rush of RFPs, but I think there's been a few. Um, there's two things. You've got to see how many RFPs come out. Then you've got to see, well, we don't know, what people bid on those. Because if you're a trading group that's bought uranium at 23, 24 bucks a pound, bang, doing a contract at 35 is making a lot of money. But it's on the path. So we shall see. We shall see. We shall see. I, I suspect we shall see towards the end of the year in the, in the second buying season. I suspect after um, things like the WNA and and so forth. Well, look, um, Greg, look, I appreciate your time today. That's been that's been um, one lovely to hear your story and what you're doing in terms of how you're managing it. Um, and two, obviously, as a as a very experienced uranium. Um, a miner, but also a buyer. Uh, I was intrigued to talk to you. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you. No, thank you very much, uh, uh, Matthew. And it's, uh, it's been great talking with you. I, I enjoy your, um, your podcast and your uh, communications with others, likewise in the industry. So it's great knowledge for us. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.